Before we begin today's show, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to a friend of the show, Malika Andrews, who has finally left the bubble in Orlando and is now safely back in her apartment in New York City. She spent 107 days at Disney covering the NBA for ESPN, and she just did an awesome job, and we're so proud of her. She joins Pablo Torre for today's edition of the ESPN Daily Podcast to talk about her experience at the bubble and what it will be like entering back into the real world. That's ESPN Daily, and you can download and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts or where you're listening to this podcast right now. Hello, welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA. I'm getting this out of the way right at the start because my producer, Troy Farkas, says so. He actually wanted me to do it at the end, but I want to get it out of the way right now because I'll forget later. If you are a fan of the Hoop Collective podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Okay, got that? Thank you. Joining us from Southwest Florida is front office insider Bobby Marks. Hi, Bobby. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Brian. Hello. Tim, how are you? Just well, just well. Oh, you, you spoiled the surprise. I did spoil I'm sorry, it's Brian. Wednesday afternoon, so you know <laughs> Timothy Band McMahon is joining us from Dallas. Howdy, partners. God, Bobby has so much good stuff out on the, on ESPN.com right now. I don't even know which story to point you toward, um, but there's a lot of it. Just go to Bobby's Twitter feed because it's all on there. Um, it'll make you smarter. And we're going we're gonna to do some forward-looking. Uh, obviously, you know, the Lakers with a, you know, congratulations to them. Um, they earned this one. Um, we are going to look forward uh, today because, um, you know, we've been living in the bubble for so long, but it's time to uh, to see what's coming up next. And that's that's what's going to be a, a big challenge, Bobby. Uh, what's coming up next? I know it's something that you've been obsessing about for months now. And the players' union and owners specifically decided not to have formal discussions. I'm sure there were informal discussions. But not to have formal discussions about um, collective bargaining agreement talks for next season until after the bubble was over. And that really made me wonder all along, why would they do that? Time is of the essence. This is going to take some time. Why delay? And I wonder if it's because they, they were afraid that it might not go so well and that it could potentially put the games in the bubble at some sort of jeopardy or am I just being conspiracy theorist, Bobby? No, I think you're right, Brian. I think what ha- would happen is if both sides started negotiating when the finals started and it, word gets out that the league is looking to take back instead of 10% escrow, let's say 30% escrow, you're going to have a lot of unhappy players that are still playing. Uh, and if you had survived for three months in that bubble you needed to get to the finish line here and you could wait another week to start the, the negotiation. But um, yeah, it's weird. We're in the off season, but technically we're kind of not because we're still got that transaction uh, moratorium going on. And um, all it's all about the negotiations uh, between both sides. And uh, like when the season was postponed in March and the, the, the word of the day was, uh, or I guess words of the day was force majeure. The word of the day is going to be escrow. I mean, that's where that's what's going to be dictated as far as um, how this deal gets done is what the player association agrees as far as an escrow, a number um, that the league can keep in reserve when revenue takes another. De- yeah, I know. I don't I don't I don't I don't I don't like all these financial terms, <laughs> but I mean, the real issue is, is that the NBA and the players split the difference 50 50. 
Okay, roughly. I know there's some slide to 49.51, but for the sake of this podcast, if you could just picture a pie, left side goes to players, right side goes to the owners. There's expectations year over year of what the revenue is going to be, and that's how they set the salary cap, and that's how they make sure it gets to close to 50-50. Uh, in some years, it's a little off. Some years, the owners get 3% too much, and they have to write a check to all the players. Sometimes the players get a little bit too much, and they have to write a check to the owners. And to make sure that that is all a balance, they hold money aside from the players' paychecks during the year to make sure. It's kind of like if you have a mortgage and you pay your taxes out of your mortgage, they take a little bit of money out every month to hold aside to pay your tax bill every six months. And and sometimes, you know, usually that tax is, is, is enough. And sometimes you have a little bit more that you get back. Sometimes it's a little bit under. You got to pay more, what have you. It's the same kind of idea held in an escrow account. Um, the problem is, is that all of the contracts, or at least 75% of the contracts that the players have signed, um, because about 25% of the league or so will be free agents, are based on a number next year that's, not, that's probably not going to exist because of the pandemic. Is it, it's probably just going to be less than. And so, in order to make sure that the books balance out for next year, and that we don't get to the end of the season, and oh, the players got 65% of the revenue, and the owners only got 35% or more, they're going to have to withhold more money out of the players' paychecks. And this is where things. And, and Bobby, I don't know if. The average player, certainly there are players who are aware of this. Do you think the average player is aware of what this negotiation is going to entail with holding this money out? I don't think so, uh, but they're going to learn quickly when, you know, potentially 30% of their salary is, is withheld. And then, you know, we, you, you talked about agent fees and state taxes and federal taxes. Yeah, so, yeah, so I the, mean, it's, yeah. it's going to be the 38 or the 40 million that LeBron James, now maybe that's a poor example. Let's say the 40 million that LeBron James is owed next year is not $40 million. <laughs> okay. So, so, so Bobby and I had an, had an FAQ that ran on com today that went over this, but let's just go. Over. I took player X who lives in California who makes $10 million. Okay. Beautiful salary. I'm sure. That player lives a wonderful life. Okay. Between state taxes in California, which are 13%, if you make a million bucks a year or more, and your federal income taxes, you're going to be paying about 48 to 50% of your money in tax. So that $10 million is down to $5 million. I know I'm not crying either, but I'm just going over this. You pay your agent up to 4%. Not everybody's paying 4%, but a lot of players are. So now you're down to, you know, now you're down to about having 46% of your, your salary that you're actually going to bring home. What Bobby is saying is to get a deal on next season, it may require taking 30% of your salary and holding it aside with the reality that you may not get that 30%. Maybe you end up, you know, and maybe you end up with an 18% pay cut and you get 12% back. But at the start, your paycheck is going to take that 30% out. Now your $10 million salary is now down to less than 20%. Now it's down to 1.8 million or whatever the math is. And again, I'm not saying here that, that anybody should be should have tears streaming down their face about this. But when this actually gets in front of the players' eyes and they see what this potential ask is, McMahon, this is what this is what the worry is. Is well, that is that this is going to cause a problem. Yeah. And then what you what the NBA obviously is trying to do is figure out how they can maximize the revenue, which means when might it be safe to have 
fans or, or even in, in some cases uh, allowed to have fans in games, whether it's whatever percentage of crowd like we're seeing in some uh, NFL and, and college football games or I just I mean, I cannot imagine full crowds uh, anytime soon until there's a vaccine at least. But and and so and then at a certain point, you also get to, OK, you're trying to have fans at games. When can you do that? And then how are you going to have an 82 game schedule and make the calendar work while also prior to prioritizing player health? So this is about as complicated uh, uh, discussions and negotiations as you could possibly imagine with a lot of things that, uh, you know, they can negotiate and, and then a lot of things that are completely out of the both the union and the league's control. Let me ask you this, Bobby. Do you think this gets wrapped up in time for the draft on November 18th? Yeah, I do. I, I do. I don't think there's I don't I, I really don't see how much wiggle room the players um, have here unless they really want to put a hard, hard stance here. I think I think we get a salary cap and luxury tax. Well, the here's next- the wiggle room the players can say. OK, the players can say, hey, instead of us holding 30 percent of our salaries out, how about we hold 20 percent out? And then we give you an IOU for next season, as in 2021, 2022. It, it's almost, yeah, it would be almost like what happened this current year, right? Like we started with, with a 10% escrow. And then when the pandemic happened in March, then we went 25% of remaining salary. So that's kind of, that's how they would look at it as far as let's see where revenue is. And if we have to start deducting in, you know, let's say the season starts in January and we don't get fans back. By, or the full amount, then we start taking more out of players' paychecks in, in March and April. So yeah, here's the thing. So when we say escrow, like literally the teams write a check to the players and it goes into a separate account that I guess earns interest over the course of the season. Um, but what I think the teams want to do, Bobby, and this is what they did this spring, is not even write the check. They want to hold the money themselves and never and not put it in escrow at least a portion of it so that they can fund their operations teams have the discretion of what they wanted to do with that 25% that was withheld you could do whatever you want you want to pave the parking lot at your building you could do that you could order you know that's that was at the discretion although that if the books did not even out or if the books did even out then you'd have to give that money back to the players but the, the likelihood is that money is not going back to yeah. these guys so you know, you know, probably it's all going to get worked out. I don't anticipate there being a lockout, but I also anticipate there being some, some level of of uh, stages of grief, <laughs> stages of loss before you get to acceptance on this thing. Um, do you think um, the owners could ask for any other concessions, Bobby, other than working out the finances? Because they have the right, if I'm not mistaken, to blow up the CBA and restart. But were there any other issues? Do you think they would try to? talk about which potentially could hold matters up on next season yeah i mean they have the right uh as of thursday that that's the opt-out date which will probably get pushed uh back i don't i don't see it i think it why would the players allow that to be pushed back i think to give them enough time to get a deal i i think you know if i'm the players i don't want to you know i don't want this thing being blown up here i think i think that probably gets pushed back um because that's a hammer that the league has. The, the oh. league does have this hammer, right? Um, that they can, because th- there was so much revenue lost when the pandemic, the league could drop this hammer 
and and uh, invalid and, and blow up the CBA and say we have no deal. We have to start over, and they have rolled that. There was a deadline for it originally in May, right? And they agreed to push it back to September. And then when they realized what the what the bubble was going to be, they pushed it back until after the bubble. But that hammer is still up there on the shelf. So if you're if you're the players, why don't you say put away that hammer? Uh, the deadline's going to pass. Let's work together. Why not say get rid of that hammer? I don't understand why they would agree. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Um, but I think where we're heading, I think I think they're looking at it like we have basically not much leverage here. Let's try to work this through. Um, I, I think it's kind of, you know, I know that it, it, even if it gets extended two weeks and that you still have that looming over, I, I don't, it's hard for me to believe that this, the owners will would actually enforce that. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Let's get in something that's a little bit more practical for fans out there. What does this mean for trades, Bobby? There hasn't been a trade in the NBA since February. Uh, this is probably the longest there hasn't been a trade, I guess, probably since the lockout in 2011. Um, I would assume that trades will eventually get allowed and that there will be there's a bubble, another bubble, sort of a bubble of teams looking to make activity and uh, that there should be moves in and around the draft. Yeah, I mean, we're still in that transaction moratorium and we're a month away from the draft. And, you know, in, in the FAQ, the, one of the questions is, will the moratorium, trade moratorium be lifted before the draft? And the unanimous answer when you talk to, to teams is that, yes, it will. And, what, and a lot of that is because the trade front, player options, non-guarantees are all kind of in, in, interwined in this kind of moratorium here. And as you guys know, I mean, there, this is not a market to be a free agent here. Like the transaction game, as far as, you know, teams going out and spending is not going to be there. And that's where the, you know, the trade market, uh, the trade market will actually become the free agent market here as far as how much movement I think is going to wind up happening. What do you mean by that? Well, I just think here's a, here's a way to look at it. Last year, the uh, teams spent $1.1 billion in 2019, 20 in sal- free agent salary from July to September. We're projecting about $300 million to be spent. So you're looking Yikes. at a quarter of what was being spent here. So now you – you know, that gets clogged up. The teams that do have cap space, Atlanta, Charlotte. I mean, you think Charlotte's going to go out and spend $25 million or um, – Who's you know, the Terry Rozier of this free agency? Crime? Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's going to use all that money here. And um, so so when that gets tied up with the finances, then the next best thing is the, is the trade front. And you're going to be seeing teams if they want to shake up their roster, which always happens. There's teams that are not content as far as where they are. Um, that's the next line that we're, they're going to look at. Yeah. So instead of Charlotte and Atlanta signing players, um, they will trade for players um, possibly. And teams that have uh, want to reduce some payroll may look to offload some salary 
Um, and the mid-level, the mid-level exceptions are going to be more valuable than maybe ever. Oh, they're going to be like the golden ticket, the mid-level. And I think this sort of favors the glamour markets like the LA teams, because if you are a free agent, like let's say, I think Jeremy Grant's a good example of this. Now, Jeremy Grant may get more money than the mid-level from, you know, from Denver, right? I mean, I don't know what their plans are for him, but if Jeremy Grant becomes a free agent and he, and he only has mid-level offers, which is what Bobby, 9.7, million. If he basically has a a series of $9.3 million offers out there, and you're trying to break the tie, you know, I think it favors you trying to play in a market where you have a chance to win. Um, I think that, so that, that is something that, you know, would swing in the favor of the LA teams and, um, you know, potentially, you know, Dallas or um, who else would be on that list, McMahon, uh, teams that, you know, would be able to use that free agent or for that mid-level exception to go out and get a player in a, in a market like this, where they may not otherwise have been in the, in the, uh, the ability to compete for free agents. Yeah. The heat, um, you know, the, yeah, I, I just think, I mean, Bobby, how many higher than mid-level deals do you anticipate being signed? Oh, higher mid- than, Oh, higher than mid-level. Ooh, yeah. Not many. I mean, I, mean, I think Fred, see, Fred Van Vliet. Yeah, right? I think, I think you'll see guys. If it's going to be, it's going to be resigning with their own team. So Joe right. Harris in Brooklyn, right? Um, maybe Montre- maybe yeah, Bert, Davis Bertans, right in Washington. Um, maybe Dragic and and Crowder for a year in Miami. Um, you'll see guys like um, you know maybe Marcus Morris and Harrell, Montrez Harrell back in in with the Clippers, but. Yeah, the, the mid level is of um of, of high value here. I mean, the like free what happens to a guy like Danilo Gallinari, for example? Go, you know, Oklahoma City is sort of moving on. Do they look to sign and trade him? I was going to say it would have to be sign and trade for him yeah. to land in a situation that that would be attractive to him. I would well, think, unless but, he wants to go to Atlanta, Charlotte, Detroit, or um, or like, or does you know. or does a guy like Danilo Gallinari go to? the Lakers on a one-year deal. Right. That's how I was going to say. I could see a lot. And at some point, like all like last year, there was just a ton of one-year deals because the market wasn't what guys wanted. At some point, you know, if all people are doing, you know, or if the vast majority of guys are signing one-year deals, it's like the whole league's going to be a free agent at, at some point. And, and that's where, guys, when these cap numbers eventually come out and I – and. From what I understand is that 2021, 22 are going to be part of it. That if the cap, you know, does go up or from where the 109 is, let's say it goes to 115 in 2021, then you are probably going to see a lot of one-year deals because then it just opens up the it opens up that more teams next summer uh, or next offseason have will have room, um, and teams will, and players are going to want to take the the wait and see approach. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult market to read, um, and I do think that there's going to be some players who are going to be trapped, um, who are going to be stuck, and they're going to have to make a decision on money versus versus where could I really maximize this year? If I if I am not if I'm getting four or five million less than my value, because that's the layout, that's the way the the, the situation is with this current time that we're in. Well, what other incentives can I get that will make it better for me? Either 
well, it set me up for 2021 because my niche on this team is very good. Or do I want to go play someplace warm? Or do I want to go play someplace where the taxes are favorable or where I have friends? Or, um, or in Europe. You know, it'll be interesting to see. You know, last year Miritich made that decision when he had options. In I the don't NBA. know, if, but I, I think for a role player, maybe. But um, well, you know, what too, you might see is that players signing one-year deals with a wink, wink that they'll be dealt when it gets closer to the trade deadline. That, like, like an example, Brian is like, where is what is happens with Tristan Thompson? Right? I mean, well, like, Tristan attended the Cavs. Uh, bubble workout you know mini bubble workout even though he's a free agent <laughs> one of the uh, yeah and that's rare you know for those andre drummond didn't even go and he's a highest paid player on the team <laughs> um so tristan obviously thinks he's going to be back in cleveland there's a good chance of him being back in cleveland um but yeah i mean if you're the Cavs, you maybe sign him to a deal and you maybe try to trade him then midway through the year um when things may loosen up a little bit uh, which is what happened like with Marcus Morris this year. New York signed him to a one-year deal and they ended up trading <clears throat> they ended up trading him. So they got a, <clears throat> a first round pick and an asset or two out of it. So um I could see I could see things like that happening. Um which again I think favors the it favors the teams that are already established. You know, I think I think the Lakers will probably have their pick. The Lakers and Clippers will probably have their pick of what they want to do with their exceptions. And they have to be smart about it because it's going to be an advantage. And it, and if you're the Lakers, it may be a player that you may want to trade at some point. So, um, you know, it's going to be sort of in-between moves that happen this offseason, I think. Um, Bobby, do you feel that there will be a lot of trades within the draft moving picks around? Um, yeah, just because of teams that have multiples, you know, Boston's not going to keep all three picks, uh, you know, unlikely, um, they've got 14, 26 and 30, um, their, ro- their roster is already packed as is, uh, you know, Minnesota with, at one seventeen and 33, right? Like, so you could see 17 and 33. Can they move those to move up? Um, Philly's got what four second rounder. So, I, I do. I think the draft, the night of the draft is going to be active. And I think it's going to be active too, just because there's no consensus of what the top, you know, three or four players, you know, in order, at least, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's, you know, Ball, Wiseman, Edwards, and something that type of order. But I think there's so much fluidity to this draft that um, I do think there's going to be a lot of movement. McMahon, if you were Golden State, would you pick number two? Or would you move number two? <laughs> I would definitely shop number two. Uh, wh- whether I would move it would depend on obviously what uh, what the market is there. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd be shopping the heck out of that, and obviously, you know, more than willing to, to uh, include Wiggins in any kind of deal that you might be able to put together. But to me, there's a lot more value in in getting a win now a significant win now piece of that, just because when you look at their core, Steph, Clay, Draymond, you know, it's not like they've got a, a five to eight year window. I mean, it's what a, about a optimistically two to four year window. So getting a 19 year old kid, you know, you could argue, well, you know, maybe that guy could take the torch. I'd rather get a, a an accomplished vet in there who can help them contend again right away. Tim, I think you know what they and Brian. I think I know what they have to do is, you know, they've got that big trade exception at seventeen 
point two, and it's going to expire right when free agency starts about a week. I think it's a week after the moratorium is you've got to look at taking the second pick in a draft and moving back. Uh, I'll give you an example. And then just, this is just an example here, taking two and flipping it with Phoenix at 10 and going after like a player like Kelly, you know, Kelly Oubre, you know, doing something like that where you're moving back in the draft, you're still getting a first and now you're getting a really solid, either starter or bench player, because I don't know if you can get a superstar within that trade exception there. Um, just because yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big trade exception, but you know, you're not trading Chris. Yeah. There's, a, there's a cutoff. Yeah. There's yeah. a cutoff there. So I think that's kind of the mindset if you're, if you're going state, but man, that, you know, just doing the math on that, like, you know, you're taking back 15, $16 million. <laughs> you're going to add like $80 million in luxury tax costs. Right, and it's you don't know if you're going to be able to have fans That's in, right. that, in that arena that's supposed to be a cash cow for you. So, yeah. Well, yes, but I will say this, that the Warriors recently did a deal where they took on $300 million in financing, um, partially because they are dealing with a heavy mortgage. And, that you know, they don't, you know, in addition to having to pay for that building, there's a lot, there's a bunch of real estate around the building. If you've never been to Chase Center, it's surrounded by office buildings. Um, that was the play. That was why they paid them. You know, it was privately funded. And the idea was not only were they going to make a bunch of money on all these concerts and other events that they can have there, but all of these people were going to want to be in this district. I think, um, Uber is one of their partners there. I think Uber's headquarters was supposed to, I think it's still there, but I don't know how people are working out of it. And instead of there being 15 or 20 restaurants and all these offices and people using, you know, apartments around there, those places are all empty right now. But having said all that, they were able to, to, to get some financing where they freed up, I believe it was over $300 million in some financing. And so like on one hand, yes, they've got big bills, but on the other hand, because their equity is so great that, you know, the Warriors themselves are worth billions more than they were paid for. And that arena is so valuable. I do think that it also gives them, you know, like, for example, the Utah Jazz can't do that. If the Utah Jazz, you know, were operating in the red and they needed to and they wanted to get an extra player, you know, I don't you know, I don't think they could borrow 300 million or I mean, maybe they could, but not under the same terms. Um, or they'd have to sell a piece of the team. Um, they didn't do that here. So while I do think that they're not going to just be willy-nilly just to do a deal to spend the, the money, I think that the Warriors are well capitalized. And um, and they, and they th- I think the Warriors are optimistic that they will get people in that building before the end of the season. I like the Ubre idea, though. And I like it for the Suns, too, because, you know, you get a, a – say it's it's LaMelo Ball if they if they like him – then you know you get a guy who can kind of learn on a Rubio for a little bit, and then and then they finally would have a point guard of the future. And then I'm going to play fantasy GM, and then I'm going to clear. I have enough cap space. I'm going to go out and put a big offer for Fred Van Vliet and put him with Devin Booker in the backcourt. Just just fantasy GM, <laughs> not for the aggregators. <laughs> well, right, but I mean, um, Fred Van Vliet's going to be an interesting case study because while well, we've been talking about how there's going to be a bear market, Bobby, you're describing basically where there's going to be 75% less spending uh, this offseason is to last. That's a, that's a bear market. If I've ever heard one, um, but Fred Van Vliet could buck that because we think there's going to be interest in Detroit who needs a point guard where his former coach Dwayne Casey is. Although I think Christian Wood is also going to be a priority for Detroit. Um, there may be interest in, in uh, Phoenix either way, whether they clear the space off or not. Um, there could be interest elsewhere. And then of course, 
Toronto wants to keep him. So Fred Van Vliet could end up being the one of the one of the quote unquote winners out of this. Um, my thing though is Bobby, when you look at teams potentially making moves and out and financial moves, you talked about maybe Charlotte or um, Atlanta taking on you know salaries. There's got to be teams that want to take a step back, and I don't. Other than Oklahoma City, which we think is going to retro, you know restructure itself. What team is in a position to go backwards right now? There, there aren't a lot of teams that look to me like they're headed for rebuilding. Like the Knicks are rebuilding, but they're already in the midst of it. They're not looking to ship out talent, I don't think. Um, who are the sellers, Bobby? Well, that that's a good question. And what, what the sellers is that there's not that many of those bad contracts anymore, right? <laughs> like those guys who signed in 2016 – they're not here anymore. They're all this part of this free agent class. The the uh, the Biombos, Mahinmi's, you know, Dang and Noah have already been been stretched here. And if you're looking at teams that who are luxury tax, um, Brooklyn, Philly, uh, Golden State, Boston um, for this upcoming year, like the, those teams are in they're in the win now mode, right? Like they're not looking to try to trade off key guys just to duck, you know, have some have some savings here. So the Carmelo Anthony trade to Atlanta for Dennis Schroeder, I don't know if that's there this, uh, this off season, just because um, there's not that many teams that are looking to, uh, there's probably more buyers than sellers. Okay. So you also mentioned that there was 26 players with player options. Is that, was that the number? I think we're at four, right around 40, oh, 40. 40. Yeah, but it's a mixed bag. I mean, we've got some player. We've got some team options here. I mean, we're going to see, you know, we're going to see a lot of these guys. Do you um, anticipate, and so like Anthony Davis has a player yeah. option, for example. Yeah, he's going to opt He's going to he, opt out. He's going to be one of the guys who's, in all, unless the salary cap crashes and it doesn't make sense for him, but uh, I don't think it's going to happen. So he's going to opt out and become a free agent and 99.99% yeah. resign in LA. I'll just be for however many years where he gets the market right. My guess would be two years, by the way, is what he'll sign for. Two plus one is what he'll sign for is my guess because um, I think the cap is going to be held steady for the next two years. And also that would return him to free agency in year 10, which would enable him to get the the larger contract. Yeah, 35%. So, right. So my, my wager, not my knowledge, my wager would be Anthony Davis re-signs with the Lakers for two years plus one. Unless plus one player option, unless he and LeBron have some desire to match their contracts, LeBron has one year plus a player option left. And unless just to make sure everything's a okay with the Lakers, that they would sign, he would sign one plus one so that he and LeBron could be free agents next year in the event that something happens. I mean, if I were Anthony Davis, I'd want the extra guarantee, but I guess it could happen um, that he could go one plus one. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Are there any other players of those who you think could opt out and become free agents? Um, I mentioned Jeremy Grant. I think he will, right? Is there anybody else? I think Contavious Caldwell-Pope. 
And I think more for the fact not to really like I don't see Atlanta, you know those teams with Cassidy's coming in and giving him a big offer. I could see him opting out in the in the Lakers giving him a, a pay increase off that eight point five million dollar number. You know maybe a one year at you know twelve million dollars or thirty. So this million. is interesting. So first off, Caldwell Pope is represented by Rich Paul. All right, um, his salary with the Lakers has been pretty fascinating. He he made eighteen million two years ago. Then he made twelve million. Now this year he made eight. Right, so he's gone down. He has a eight point five million dollar player option. If he opts out and becomes a free agent, the Lakers have to resign him. Right? Almost oh yeah. Certainly. Right. He was vital for them, and they have his full bird rights. They can pay him whatever. Right. So if you're Contavious Caldwell Pope, and I will tell you that Rich Paul and Mark Termini, who does the negotiations, they don't do favors. <laughs> okay? <laughs> that is not how they operate. All right? Um, why wouldn't they say, uh, Danny Green makes $15 million. Uh, my guy's as good as Danny Green. You can't replace him. I will accept a two-year $15 million contract. Thank you. <laughs> and by two, you mean two-year 15 per, two-year 30 mil. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Or even one year fifteen, like, like how can you look Caldwell Pope in the eye and say that he's not worth what Danny Green is to that team? And especially when you have to keep those agents happy. I'm gonna tell you something though. It's not Rich Paul doesn't operate that way. I know. I people make a lot of assumptions about Rich Paul. Here's what I'm gonna tell you about Rich Paul. Number one, and I've known this guy for fifteen, sixteen years. Okay. He is about business. Biz- he is business first. Now, does he try to take a care of LeBron James, his number one client? Did he go make sure Anthony Davis got to the Lakers? Yeah. But I'm telling you, they are businessmen. They- and sometimes it doesn't work out. It didn't work out with Caldwell Pope. Uh, when he was, you know, their negotiations with uh, Detroit fell apart. There was an offer, then it was gone. And Caldwell Pope hasn't gotten that money back. There's other guys that they've, uh, you know, thought they could get more and ended up not getting it, ended up, you know, sort of out on the, in the, on the plains in the wind. But they've gotten a lot of big contracts by not, by, by not relenting. And so, Bobby, I see what you're saying. You're like, listen, give, give Caldwell Pope a 50% bump. It's a one-year, $12 million deal. You know, good job. But I can also see Rich saying, yeah, I know we all got rings. I know LeBron and AD are all happy, but we're not talking about them right now. We're talking about Contavious Caldwell Pope. He's as good as Danny Green. Give me the money. And we're talking about leverage. And they always do that. I mean, they held out J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson in Cleveland for months. You know, it was kind of the same situation. You know, yeah, the, the Cavs were winning because of LeBron. Those guys were getting paid because they worked with LeBron, but didn't mean they were just going to do it for the hell of it. So I'll be interested to see what happens there. Just like I'll be interested to see what happens with Marcus Morris and Montrez Harrell, because I don't know what Montrez um, Harrell's value was in the market, Bobby. Um, but he's pretty valuable to the Clippers, I think. Like if he, like if he were to walk, like if he went to Atlanta, which they have bigs, they wouldn't go. Yeah. If he went to Charlotte, if he say. went to Charlotte on like a, a two-year, $32 million deal. It's not like the Clippers have somebody else, I don't think. 
correct me if I'm wrong, that they could just go sign to replace him. So his leverage to the Clippers is that you can't replace me. Yeah, but the Clippers' leverage with him is that there might not be a real big market for him after his bubble performance, if we're being honest. But as, I always, as I always say, it only takes one. True. That's it. All right, so who are the other um, – are there any other guys who have player options? Well, who- I mean, here's a good – I mean, and, and Tim, you know, covers these guys. Like, in a normal year, you'd – like, Tim Hardaway Jr. had a good year this year. But he's not going to opt out of, you know, $19, 19 million. Dollars. No. But Austin Rivers, who's got a player option at the at the minimum, like I think it's like two yeah. six two seven, probably would, right? Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't hurt him to go out there. I'm um, the same with Rondo in in L. A. He's at the minimum at with a player. <laughs> if Rondo, thing, I'd be asking for. Well, I'd be asking for the mini mid level baby. Here's the thing with Rondo is interesting is that so he's got early bird rights in um in with the Lakers. So if he opts out, they can sign him with early bird rights, which means they can go up to the average player salary. So up to, you know, $10 million, but it has to be for two years. Like there's no, no way that's not happening. So unless we love you, Rondo. Yeah, I mean, unless you take, he wants, he wants part of that mid-level, which would be too valuable to give up, um, you know, to sign Rondo here. But yeah, I mean, I think guys, we're going to probably, you know, we're looking at uh, guys opting in or certainly Mike Conley and uh, DeMar DeRozan, uh, Gordon Hayward. Um, you know, uh, Andre Drummond, some of those bigger named um, free agents. It'd be interesting what guys like who are making that the five million dollar guys like Ennis Cantor. You know, what does he? Can he earn that back, or does he say? I would say you know, the minimum is not that far off for where my salary is going to be. Let me go to a. Let me lose a little bit of money and and go for a team. I maybe have a bigger role. I think that's probably what you know what his thinking would probably have to be. What about Avery Bradley? He has a $5 million player option. I think his numbers, that's the number that he would probably get in free agency. I think if you went out there. And as we talked earlier, the, that, um, the mid-levels, either the tax mid-level, which will be around 5E, and the full mid-level at 9.3, I mean, those are going to be of high, high value. To the point maybe some teams might not even use those. You know, when you have no revenue coming in, and you and you're Indiana, and you've already got a payroll of 127 million. Like it's hard to justify spending six million of your mid-level when you don't have anything coming back in. Could Indiana be a seller? When we talk about teams that just are looking to make a financial move, when you talk about, you just mentioned the the size of their payroll, the circumstances. I mean, they're they're a playoff team, but they're not a contender. Could Indiana be one of those teams that that might make a deal with an Atlanta or a Charlotte or you know a, a cap space kind of trade? Well, Brian, I think the the interesting name and and that's a good point, Tim, is is what happens to Old Depot, yeah. right? I mean, like that's going to be the name. Like, who's going to be the first disgruntled All Star slash superstar to be like, I don't, you know, I want out, right? Like, is it going to be? We haven't, we haven't, we don't have one yet. Um, but I think that's going to be. Well, Depot recently gave an interview where he said he doesn't. He wants to be in Indiana. You can decide whether or not you believe that. But he is. He brushed that away. But Indiana has Demodis Sabonis's salary coming on the books and are, is facing a hundred twenty-five or so million-dollar payroll. And uh, the Sabonis Miles Turner fit paying both yeah. those guys. I mean, there's no. Just... I think you're right, McMahon. I think Indiana 
is a candidate to do something with their roster. And, it, and I don't maybe know if it'll it's be a maybe sell, but yeah, right. Maybe maybe one of those teams, one of those few teams with cap space, is a facilitator in the deal instead of the destination. But Indiana, I mean, it, it seems like a team that's prime for some sort of of shakeup, uh, perhaps financially motivated. I suspect the Cavs will be interesting players as well because I think when if slash when Andre Drummond picks up his option um, I think they will look to deal potentially with Drummond willing to take on money long term so if there's a if you're looking to move off of a player um, with multiple years and you're willing to take Drummond who still is a he still produces you can you can argue about whether his production is useful in this day and age but you know it's not like he's, it, you know, he's a, he's a double double guy. So, um, I think Cleveland, who I believe is in t- intending to try to compete for the playoffs next year, whether or not you think that's feasible or not is a different discussion. But you could have a guy like that uh, come onto the market, you know, a big one year contract. But I, I do think, you know, we kind of thought that during the season, Oklahoma City would be the team to watch because we thought Chris Paul might get traded. We thought Gallinari might get traded. Um, Schroeder, possibly. Schroeder. Steven Adams. You know, yeah, so, a lot of guys. So they ended up not doing anything. And so now I think that it it it, it accelerates to this offseason where they've come out and pretty much said that they're on a different page than Billy Donovan. Billy Donovan may not want to do this rebuild. So how many of those guys might be – I mean, I'm sure Chris Paul's available – Today, if you're willing to call and give them something for a guy who's got 85, 85 million left on his contract, two right. years, I'm, but, I'm sure they take your call. He's a, he's a lot easier to trade now than he was at this point last year. I agree. Year. And at, at this agree. point last year, obviously, there was a full extra year of, of, of a max uh, contract. And there were questions about, dude, is 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 this guy? Uh, is, is he? About I agree. Off but a cliff where remember, you know, he makes forty two million, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a hard trade to construct with Flotsam and Jetsam, you know. And Oklahoma City's would would rather just pay them the money than than take your all your bad contracts. Well, in OKC's, obviously they're not giving up picks to get a pick or pick to get. That's off their him. goal, and they and yeah. nor should they, frankly. Or you know, if they if they were wanting to give up picks, they probably could have uh, moved him last year. But he proved that not only can he play, but he's still. I think he performed at a super. I mean, he was an All NBA player this year. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and you know the difference between two years left of the of the max and three. I, I think there's no way. I think they'd be looking, Bobby. If you called, if you were in your because you know some people have speculated various places he could go. If you were in your role with the Nets, and you called Sam Presti or somebody else in his office, Rob Hennigan, um, who just got promoted to. I can't remember what his title is. What would your discussion with him be like over Chris Paul checking on his availability? I mean, how would that conversation go? Well, I mean, are you a, are you looking to get off his money? What are you looking for? We've got expirings and maybe if it, if it makes sense, we'd give you a a future first. That's probably how it would go. And I think if Oklahoma city who, thought that they may have to incentivize to get off Chris Paul. I think if they could get a future first round pick from oh, Chris Paul yeah, and, and they could get off the money in a year, in other words, not because it's, it's the second yeah, cut year. their bill in half, basically cut their bill in half and get an, and get an asset. I mean, granted they would probably oh. get worse, but I think they're doing that deal. 
eight times a week. Yep, I agree. So they could end up being the, one of the most interesting teams. I, I do think you're onto something there. I think Indiana will do something. Of course, they've got to figure out what their coaching situation is. Who are some other teams, Bobby? That because like, you know, Dallas is an upwardly mobile team, and Miami is an upwardly mobile team, but they're both trying to protect cap space yeah. for 21. So I don't see them being big players unless it's for a guy on a one-year deal. But there could be some other teams that are. Well, I'm telling you, I think Cleveland could be in the market. I, I think. I think. Um... San Antonio is interesting to me because the bubble kind of showed that, Hey, it's Derek white. It's Deontay Murray. It's Keldon Johnson. Um, you know, LaMarcus wasn't there. The Rosen played basically the four. Um, they've got a lot of, of these veterans on expiring contracts. Uh, DeRozan, Aldridge, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay. I mean, that's four guys right there um, in a Western conference that is, going to be as loaded as we've seen in a long time i think that's a team that's um that really intrigues me as far as what they do with those guys mcmahon is there any team that you're watching i i was going to mention san antonio with, with those veterans um i will say this it's hard for me to see them parting with patty mills yeah just because of the you know He's a, uh, I mean, he, he didn't spend his whole career in San Antonio, but he's been there a long time and he's a huge part of kind of what they want to be about. Um, but, you know, definitely the DeRozan Aldridge stuff. He I was think Patrick that, Mills when he came there, right? Wasn't he? He came up by Patrick. <laughs> I think so. I think so, yeah. But um, now, like I said, Indiana and Indiana and San Antonio are the two that I think it, it, it makes sense of. Uh, and Oklahoma City. Those are the three that it would make sense to take a step back basketball-wise perhaps to to make a, a deal that uh, is, is getting off a salary. Team I'm watching in New Orleans, um, they did, I believe, I don't think they were actively shopping Drew Holiday at the deadline, but I, I believe that there was some calls were placed, and I think Brooklyn is a very interesting possible partner there. Um also, I'm not it, again. It depends. Like if they hire Ty Lu, which I don't think is going to happen. I, you know, Ty is in the mix in Houston and L.A. And I, I don't. I think the Clippers hire him if I had to bet today. But um, if they hire Ty Lu, they go one direction. If they hire Stan Van Gundy, they go a certain direction. If they hire Jamal Mosley, you know, maybe they go a different direction. Maybe they're looking to trade J.J. Redick and, and Drew Holiday. Um, I don't know. I mean, and if, if Reddick and Holiday are on the market, I think you know, Reddick would have one year at like what 12 and a half or 13, Bobby. And I think yep. that would, I think both of those guys could fetch them really interesting packages. What's a Brooklyn deal that makes sense for Holiday? Because I do think, I mean, I, that would give them a third star for sure. Uh, Lavert and Allen. Yeah. Bobby, what do you think of that? Oh, I would, I would, that's probably what you're looking at. And I think that that would have, uh, if I was in New Orleans, I'd have a intrigue with that yeah. package. Well, yeah, you're talking about Levert, Ingram, obviously Zion, Allen fits in that. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they have some young bigs there um, that they may not want Allen to get in the way of, but I think Allen would be better than any of them. You know, they, and also, presumes that they let Derek favors walk, you know? So, um, but it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out and, uh, and what the rules are. Um, 
and Bobby is going to be all over that. And McMahon will be all over that. McMahon just having a report on the Rockets coaching uh, search. If you had to guess today, McMahon, who do you think is going to coach the Rockets? I'm to an, I am at an, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I, that's a responsible answer. Yeah. I, I, I told you a week ago that I thought it would, it was going to be Jeff Van Gundy. Um, my confidence has been dented. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I still think Ty Lue ends up staying uh, in LA. I Me still too. think, and, and like Balmer's not going to be outbid if he decides that's the guy that he wants. So that's, you know, that's why I'm not going to say Ty Lue right now. Um, Tillman Fertitta is not going to outbid Steve Ballmer if Ballmer wants to keep Ty Lue in LA. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't have a real confident prediction at this point. I have no idea what the Rockets are going to look like or be in three months. They could look they could look a lot like they do now. Yeah. Or they could be very different. I just I don't know. I still think this year they will look very similar. Um, but, you know, that window of two to three years, it might be one. Well, I think just about anybody could say that about their team. Um, all right. Well, thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective. I know we're all over the place, but that's where we are right now. I think things can go a lot of different directions, and we're here to keep an eye on it and tell you what we think what we think is going to happen, and even if we don't know sometimes. Uh, thank you, Bobby. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, McMahon. Thank you to Troy. Subscribe, rate, and review, blah, blah, blah. We'll be talking to you soon. <laughs>